Welcome to another episode of Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here to talk to you about all things intersectional feminism, DIY, and of course, the music. I hope you're all having a good week and staying safe and healthy. I hope everything going on in this world, this is a good distraction with some great tunes and talk. Uh, This week, I'm joined by Maeve Aiken, who is a songwriter who has such a meaningful approach to writing music. She was inspired by the likes of the Holy Trinity, known as Boy Genius, and uh, Maeve has picked up guitar and experimented her way into creating some really rich, personal songs. Please do note that we do talk extensively about illness and health throughout this episode, as Maeve opens up about her health and how it connects to some of her songwriting. Uh, Maeve talked about how she's approached songwriting Uh, experimenting with pedals, her hopes as a musician, the people who influence and inspire her, and so much more. So with that, let's hear some more from Maeve's new record, Waiting Rooms, and then hear from Maeve herself. Rainbow hair in the blur 
girl music of the indie rock persuasion how are you doing uh, i'm good i'm hanging in there <laughs> <laughs> i know that's the mood for this year same thing for sure mm -hmm. <laughs> um i gotta tell you it's been so awesome unpacking your new record and kind of getting to know your style and everything thank you so much for putting out waiting rooms this year it's such a great record Thank you. Uh, that's wild to hear that coming from you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, before we get into the record, I kind of learn a little bit more about you personally and stuff. Tell mm -hmm. me about how you first began to play music and maybe who got you interested in it. Yeah, so um, I started playing percussion in fifth grade, and that was sort of what I did all through middle school. Um, I was in band, which, you know, is really cool and just like all the popular kids were in band now <laughs> um, and I played the drum kit um and I did that and I never really thought about it past kind of like a scholastic capacity like I'll learn this theory so I can pass the test and then you know it doesn't really matter to me personally um but I I loved listening to music and I loved consuming music um, I think Sufjan Stevens was one of the artists who I first like discovered on my own as opposed to um getting one of his albums from my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of got me into independent music. Um, and then two summers ago, I saw a concert with uh, Lucy Dacus, Courtney Barnett and Julian Baker, mm -hmm. which is just like sort of a serendipitous like triangle of artists I love on a bill. Yeah. Um, and just see seeing Julian perform and the intensity of it and the generosity of it made me feel like God, I, I like, I want to do something like that, like not the same and maybe not as good, but I just want to try to do something like that. Um, and so we got back to, I live in uh, Mumbai usually. Um, so we got back there uh, like a week later and I was super jet lagged, but my dad has an acoustic guitar. And so I, I like brought it into my room um, and I learned Casimir Pulaski day and, <laughs> and then I fell asleep. Um, and that was sort of the, the beginning um, of wanting to to explore music in a more personal capacity as opposed to just like, so that I can be in band and hang out with my friends, you know? Um, and I started writing songs that week. Um, they weren't very good, but that was sort of where it, you know, where it came from. I love that so much. The fact that you went to see these artists and then just immediately were like, okay, I gotta do this in my own way. It's super cool. And like, honestly, that holy trinity of like, honestly, that's that's truly what's I feel has inspired so many non-men lately to really mm -hmm. pursue indie music and like mm -hmm. not feel like they were limited in any way because yeah like I think of like Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus and um even like Phoebe Bridgers that's like mm -hmm. they start with just a guitar they're not yeah. and they just mm -hmm. kind of build from there it feels accessible I think and I think that's why um they're so important right now and it's great to hear that they made that impact mm -hmm. on you too yeah, yeah. I remember that summer, like maybe a couple days after the show, the first photo of Boy Genius was released and there was like mm -hmm. no context. And like my I was like, oh my God, like this could be something really big. And then of mm -hmm. course it it did turn into something really big. Um and my my head kind of exploded. <laughs> there was no one I could talk to about like this is so exciting. Because mm -hmm. my dad went to the concert with me and I, I sent the photo to him and I was like, oh my God. And he was like, I don't really know what this means, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's great that your dad still took you though and like clearly yeah. supportive in that sense. Yeah, um, both of my parents are great and I really appreciate them taking me to concerts because a lot of shows in Minneapolis have age restrictions that mm -hmm. I can't get into. So, Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting how some spaces have slowly started to become more like all ages over the last, mm -hmm. like, I would say five to 10 years, they finally started getting to a point where it's like, if you at least bring a parent, you can come kind of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's got to help a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad that I have very supportive and, and cool parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's so important for sure. Especially when you're first getting into the music. Mm -hmm. um, so would you say that like, um, like Boy Genius were kind of like the type of artists that were kind of helping motivate you then as you were trying to kind of start to find your own voice in music? 
Yeah, like it's a very boring like white indie girl answer that like boy genius was the <laughs> the impetus. Um, but it's the truth. Like that's what I was was really into um, at the time and still am. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many kind of styles of music that I was pulling from, but I recognized that there were things that I was listening to that I just can't, couldn't do. Like um, I was obsessed with Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick. And I was like, I love this music, but I know I'm not like, I can't do that, you know? And so I saw just guitar kind of music as like an entryway into storytelling through that medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you still have plenty of time to pick up other things and kind of keep building kind mm-hmm. of your arsenal of sound. It seems like you draw from several things, like throughout um, the record, you have some keys here and there, some um, obviously guitars and stuff. So it's like, you're kind of playing with different stuff and building up. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's actually all guitar, mm-hmm. uh, which I think has surprised some people because I just messed with the, I, I, I like messed with pedals and stuff or like digital wow. pedals until I could get a sound that was um, different. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm nervous that I'm talking too much, but um, like that isn't, I don't know. Um, like directly, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, honestly, when you play with the right pedals and kind of adjust them in just the right way, you can Mm -hmm. end up with some really funky stuff that does not sound like it's coming from a guitar. I'm always mind boggled what that kind of, um, where pedals are today, frankly, it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. we were so limited for decades. It seemed like for what sort of sounds we can get and like, you know, for a while it felt like we mostly just had like fuzz pedals or like stuff that mm-hmm. kind of just enhanced that kind of whammy sound. But yeah, now there's like shit that sounds like it comes from outer space. And I'm like, I don't understand yeah, it. The, I love it. <laughs> I own two pedals. I have like a boss, like looper thing. Mm-hmm. And then I have a walrus descent, um, which I'm like obsessed with. And like the wet sounds that you can get on there, like they, they exactly sound like they're from outer space. Like you get this, these kind of ambient textures that mm-hmm. I feel like are good for contextualizing like the, the landscape you're trying to create. Like it isn't the main thing. Um, I tried to recreate it on Temple where like I have a guitar line in the background that is just sort of this sweeping echoing um, kind of space sort of sound. And then I try to layer over drier sounds on top um, to create kind of a dialogue between the lines. Um, that's amazing. I love that because those are the kinds of things that for people who aren't quite as uh, gifted in playing as um, as people like you who are really experimenting and stuff, I feel like that just is next level understanding of what's going on within the music. The fact that you're able to kind of play with these layers and um, these possible sounds, I've always been fascinated by that whenever musicians are able to really tackle that. So it's great that you're um, able to kind of do that with your with just a guitar that's amazing to me um are you kind of playing with that more within like your next release and stuff as you're starting to write um I'm hoping like when I go to college next year hopefully um that I'll have access to more instruments just through the institution um so I'm hoping to like maybe be able to mess around with a synth and do that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and go back to percussion uh, but with the guitar parts, like my writing process is very basic. It's, I wrote a few verses, I honed them a little bit, and then I just start messing around on the guitar until I have something that kind of emotionally and thematically matches what I'm trying to accomplish um, in the lyrics. Um, but I'm really hoping to expand the sound so it's not just like different versions of the same squire over and over. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there for sure. And, you know, I, I'm amazed by what you accomplished throughout the entire record in that sense though it's like there's definitely some verity there that's really meaningful um can you tell me a little bit about um how you kind of began to start writing as a solo artist like what was it like for you to kind of experiment with the different sounds that you wanted to have and like try to also find the right words for them too like almost Mm -hmm. like how did that start to shape for you um I think I think getting sick really made the writing a necessity Mm -hmm. um, because I think writing has always been how I processed my experiences and my emotions. Um, And I've kept a lot of it to myself because I feel like it's very insular and it's very 
kind of solipsistic a lot of the the writing I do um and so that made me really worried about putting out a record like this that feels so contained within my own experiences and my own body um but I think the writing started mostly as a response to like I don't know what's happening like I feel tired all the time I'm fainting like multiple times a week like I, I don't know what's going on and rather than taking it out on myself and I guess indirectly harming myself through those thought processes, I thought it would be better to just get it on paper and then be able to put it aside um, and, and try to get on with, you know, school and cooking and, you know, all the regular things I do. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really just processing and a mechanism for, um, for understanding and I guess kind of it's I feel like I'm rambling but like when you put something like in amber like you see an insect in amber I wanted to be able to do that where like I have this little capsule of this is what's going on right now um and now I can put it aside and like the pain isn't going to go away and the fainting isn't going to go away but at least I can have a healthy response to it as opposed to just demonizing myself if that makes sense. Right. It does. And everything that you kind of captured within waiting rooms, I feel like it's so much your response, but it's also um, the way that you wrote it feels very universal. The mm -hmm. fact that I'm kind of like, I, I did the research and that's why I learned more so about like um, your diagnoses and like mm -hmm. the experiences that you've had medically. But in that same sense, it's like, I think that you're able to put these very literal experiences that you're having into a way that they are metaphors for things that people can go through mentally or experientially mm -hmm. um, to where it's like it it can be for somebody who also shares the same diagnosis as you but at the right. same time it can be something that um, other people can process for their own experiences and like mm -hmm. moments that they're living through was that intentional on your part or is that just kind of how it came out I think when I realized that it was a record as opposed to just stuff I was writing mm -hmm. um that was my intention but um it's very reassuring to hear you say that because I feel like I had no idea whether I had accomplished what I was hoping to accomplish mm -hmm. um it's really ironic that it's such a sad kind of dismal record because I feel like mentally I'm at kind of one of the best spots I've been in my life you know like that was sort of what I wrote Noel about I was like yeah, this sucks and I'm sick all the time, but like, I'm not depressed and that's really nice. <laughs> that's a really basic way of putting the song, but, um, <laughs> but kind of realizing like, I'm going through this thing physically that I've been through mentally um, and noticing the connections between um, physical, well, it's weird to say physical illness because obviously mental illness has physical manifestations and physical effects, but mm -hmm. I'll just use that dichotomy for clarity's sake, kind of tracing those connections between physical and mental illness. And I really hope that people will see themselves in it. Um, I mean, I kind of don't hope it because it's sad, but <laughs> I hope that folks will, I don't know, I think universal is the right word. I hope that it reaches that point. Um, my favorite record is Sprained Ankle by Julian Baker. And what I appreciate is that in writing so specifically about her own um, experiences, like it, it makes it much easier to connect to. I think if I just wrote a song that was like, I love life and I love whatever and blah, blah, you know, like you can't connect to that because these vague, sort of phrases are just they're so vague that you can't find yourselves yourself within it and you can't position yourself within the world of the song mm -hmm. um and so I guess I hoped that through specificity um I would throw out enough details that maybe a few of them would stick mm -hmm. no it absolutely does honestly um Sometimes that specificity, even if it's not the same literal experience that you've mm -hmm. gone through, mm -hmm. it places people in that space where they can kind of um, confront what it is that they are tackling themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's exactly what you do throughout this record. It's like, um, you know, some people may not be able to directly understand what it is you've gone through with POTS, but at the same time, you um, 
they have their own experiences that may feel similar or that at least mm-hmm. make it easier for them to process the experiences that they themselves have had. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting that your your music is something that we can take in a literal sense. And it's also something that paints a very strong metaphor too for whatever it is that you're experiencing. And I, I'm kind of curious, what was it like for you to actually put this record together, kind of process everything and start to kind of um, build it into waiting rooms? Um, well, so last year, a year ago, I guess a year and a half ago, um, I released a few of the songs on the record as an EP. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up taking it down because I did it in a, in a like small studio setting. And um, I only had like three hours to record. And in the end, I felt like I wasn't able to fully produce what I was hoping to. Um, And I feel like that EP was very much, these are the songs I've written that I think are the best. Mm -hmm. Enjoy them, you know? And um, (laughs) with the record, I I was very intentional about trying to create a narrative about fragility. and that's why there, you know, there are songs like Park or Harriet that aren't directly about illness, but I wanted to show how fragility within relationships, how being in kind of transitional spaces, both with your own health, with the health of others, with the health of your relationships, with your relationship to yourself. Um, I wanted to kind of trace them together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that there's like a thesis to the record. Like I didn't set out to say like, this is the you know, one beautiful phrase that I want to articulate through these 10 songs. Um, But I was hopeful that in finding a connective tissue with the idea of fragility and with the idea of transition, um, that I was able to trace something together that, that I guess, uh, I don't know, the weird metaphor that comes into my head is sort of like a constellation, like you have all these stars, but at least like you can kind of see how these connections create a narrative Mm -hmm. um, that's super pretentious. But I think that was my intention um, once I knew that I was working on a record um, and not just like, as I've said, not just songs. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up fragility because I feel like that's so much of what I got out of the record. Not just that concept, but almost this willingness to be vulnerable about whatever experiences you're going through and I feel like um maybe over the last year or so people are finally learning that it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay mm-hmm. to talk about things like your mental health struggle your physical health struggle anything mm-hmm. that you're going through it's better to talk about it you know it's really important that we kind of express what we're going through right and um be willing to kind of own the emotions that you have as a result and I think that's amazing that you were able to kind of capture that and I think being vulnerable is really hard to do, especially when you're going through anything in life. And your willingness to do that here is incredible to share that with people. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. If you don't mind, I want to dig into a couple of the songs on the record. Yeah. (laughs) That's like my favorite part to do with everything because it's Mm -hmm. like uh, everything that you tell, especially in this record, is just so meaningful. Like I love Temple because of the way that you talk about these kind of like impulsive obsessive thoughts right Mm -hmm. and the way they just penetrate and it seems like there's a lot of focus on your body in that sense of like Mm -hmm. the idea of like you said your body is a temple but do you know yet who you're praying to I love that so much because (laughs) it's like you're trying to kind of articulate like you know this is not this like perfected space the -hmm. way that like temples can be and stuff you know there's vulnerability Mm -hmm. there Mm-hmm. Can you talk about this song and like what that meant to you to kind of express? Yeah. Um, I started writing this. I was taking psych in 10th grade and um, we were learning about Edward Tyler and animism. Um, and that idea really struck with me about kind of assigning characteristics to objects. And like the first song, the first line of the record is I got to stop apologizing to the furniture which is like not a metaphor like that's a thing I do I bump into a chair and I'm like oh sorry you know um (laughs) which I know rationally is dumb but like emotionally I still feel like I have to do it um and I think that's part of the crux of temple is like these compulsions I have like you know right now 
I feel calm because there are two of us in the zoom room but if there was a third person it would be an odd number and then like Mm. everything would be out of whack you know rationally I know that the world isn't going to end but there are still these thoughts that creep in that are like what if um and so that was sort of the the starting point of the song um and then as I sort of connected it to to religion um I grew up like very much like I'm an atheist I don't believe in anything you know God is dead, blah, 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 you know, like all that stuff that you say when you want to be like countercultural. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I think I always felt very uncomfortable in religious spaces just as like a closeted lesbian. Um, but, you know, when I started getting into like Sufjan Stevens and Julian Baker, and I started seeing myself in these songs in a way that I hadn't seen myself in any other kind of religious material I had um, consumed, I started to think critically about my relationship to um, to religion and theology and this idea of like, I don't believe in anything, but also I believe the world will end if I step on three cracks, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's an incongruity and I really hate being incongruous um, mm-hmm. in my beliefs and in my beliefs and in my actions. Um, and so that was where it started building. And then the body is a temple line, like I'd, written years ago and I found it in a journal and I really liked it um (laughs) and so kind of tying these like very broad um broad theological ideas to like the very real and and immediate viscerality of like a corporeal space I think that was sort of my intention Mm -hmm. um I feel like it's a song that it's one of the few songs on the record where I can't encapsulate what it means in like a couple sentences, right? Um, especially because it's one of the oldest songs on the record. And like originally, the second verse was like complete nonsense that I had just written because I thought it sounded cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, as I started experiencing more and as I started interrogating myself more, I think I was able to create a much sharper um, song. Like I was able to kind of hone it into a point much better, but. Um, I think the, the, like when someone asks me, what's the song about, I'll just say it's about OCD because I feel like that's the very simple answer. Um, but yeah, I hope that vaguely answered your question. I feel like I talked about like 10 different things. (laughs) (laughs) No, it did. And I think it's amazing that there was that much thought into it and you kind of let your consciousness, especially when it comes to topics like theology Mm -hmm. and everything kind of seep Mm -hmm. into this because Mm -hmm. it, I feel like religion and spirituality always make really interesting metaphors in songwriting, Mm -hmm. right? And the way that you kind of tied that into a way of thinking and the way of like emotionally responding to things, that's like the crux of religion, at least in my Mm -hmm. experience of like Mm -hmm. a lot of it is driven by your emotional response. It's very much um, can be something that is instinctive. You don't even think about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're somebody who's been raised within any kind of religious institution. Um, Mm -hmm. like I was raised Lutheran, um, Mm -hmm. don't really practice it. I'm more spiritual now than religious, I would say than anything. Mm -hmm. It's not really Mm -hmm. a concept I follow per se, but anyhow, it's like, but there are things that happen when you're raised within that kind of environment. And I know people like Julian Baker will do that within music too where Mm -hmm. it's like you have this like automated response that it's like because it's so ingrained in you Mm -hmm. the way that obsessive compulsion can do you don't Mm -hmm. realize that this is your instinct of this is how you react to things or this is how you um emotionally respond to things Mm -hmm. i think about how a lot of people instinctively pray if they've been raised within any kind of religious organization Mm -hmm. and stuff regardless of which one you are associated with Right. It's just like a weird instinct and stuff, right? And I feel mm-hmm. like um, people who have like obsessive compulsion too, they have that instinctive reaction as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how you kind of took these two concepts that have very much the underlying concept of instinct, mm-hmm. the way that those tie together. I don't know if you did this on purpose, but it was something I just thought about. And I'm like, oh shit, that's amazing. Just those Thank layers, you. the you way they come like, together. explained my song way better than I ever could. I think about this stuff way too much honestly (laughs) this is just how my brain operates with music where I sit here especially when there's like deep lyrical stuff I'm like oh my god I could go write an essay on this and I'm excited (laughs) can I tell you something really dumb about the song please (laughs) um originally the first line was I swear to god that the mushroom's gonna kill us 
Um, cause <laughs> there was a mushroom on my plate and I was counting like the mushrooms on my plate and like doing my weird OCD things. And then I thought, oh, that's great. Like a mushroom cloud, like, cause it's tying like these small, you know, these small elements of my life to like the disaster that I think is going to happen if I don't fulfill the compulsions. And I say, I, I like, I sang the song at a show and this girl was like, who, who, like I knew, you know, outside of the show was like, Maeve, do you do mushrooms? <laughs> do you do shrooms? <laughs> and I was so embarrassed because I'm like totally straight edge. And so I was like, no, I need to change the song because <laughs> everyone's going to think I do shrooms. <laughs> um, and so I changed it to potato because like my family's Irish and, and Catholic. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that was the best connection I could make without the mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> And now sometimes when I'm performing it, I just sing mushroom instead because I think it makes more sense, like mushroom cloud, mm. you know, literal mushroom. Um, <laughs> but I was so terrified that people would think that. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't know. Those potatoes can be a men- can be a menace too, especially if there's a famine, you know? Mm. Mm. <laughs> no, I I, <laughs> I do love honestly, uh either either vegetable totally works here, honestly. Mm. <laughs> That's a great song. And I'm going to think about the mushroom every now and then when I listen to a temple going forward, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I really also loved the song Harriet because I think it's something that comes across so universally with the idea of our relationships changing and evolving in ways that we didn't expect, especially during the pandemic. Um you know, the whole idea of when I see you again, will you tell me I was a training wheel friend? That mm-hmm. is something that I feel so deeply as somebody who is kind of further along into adulthood, because I think back on high school friends and have those kinds of questions pop in mm-hmm. my head. I'm like coming up mm-hmm. on a probably a 10 year reunion already. And oh, it's gosh. like, and it's like, oh my God, I, I think that way about people. And I kind of mm-hmm. wonder like, you know, those, those are such different relationships and that's over the course of a much longer stretch of time, mm-hmm. but you can think about it literally right now with the people that we were close to before we were all separated due to the mm-hmm. pandemic and stuff. And the weight of that is immense. Um, mm-hmm. what was it like for you to kind of like process this? I know Harriet kind of has a lot of relationships thinking behind it. Yeah. Um, I think that training wheel friend idea, like that's been something I've always felt just, especially because a lot of my friends throughout my life have been older than me. Mm-hmm. And so there's always this feeling that like, they're going to go to college and like, forget about me and not care anymore. And like, go meet all these way more interesting, cool people, um, you know? And I, I don't want to sound self-deprecating, but I feel like that's a doubt that a lot of us have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the friend I wrote this about, um, he he's a year older than me and he, he was going to college and um, we were in Mumbai and like we learned that we were probably not going to be able to travel outside of Mumbai for a long time if we didn't leave like that night. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we were leaving the country and like, I went to his apartment I said goodbye to him. And then I was like, Oh my God, this could be the last time I ever see this person. Like, I hope that's not the case, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I know that people drift apart and I know that friends in high school usually don't say friends for life, but you know, I still hope that'll be the case. Um, and so that, that kind of moment of like, God, like this could be the last time that I ever tell this dumb joke to this person. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that was really terrifying. Um, and I think I was kind of pushing it in those feelings because I didn't want to be like, I always get nervous about being really needy and like mm. being annoying. And I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to talk about those feelings because I didn't want to be perceived that way. Um, and then I was biking around Lake Harriet um, and yeah, I just like, it's, it's, I was looking at the bike. I was thinking about music. I thought training wheels. And I was like, wait, that's a good metaphor. <laughs> um, <It really> is. <laughs> uh, and I was also just so stoked because that was one of the first times I'd biked in like the past two years, like two years before it. Um, because, you know, with like my, I have sort of like seizure things where like, I just start shaking and I can't control my body. And so I was terrified to bike because I didn't want to like be in the middle of a road and fall over and not be, sure. you know. Um, and so 
that it, it was that excitement kind of juxtaposed with like the terror of like are all these relationships going to completely dissipate because of this pandemic and is that okay is that a good thing or mm -hmm. you know um yeah I I don't know why I called it Harriet like I feel like it could have been like training wheel for or I don't know maybe that's <laughs> silly but um I really I really get attached to like the shapes of words and I think mm -hmm. that word just felt like the cadence of it felt exactly what I wanted mm -hmm. the song to be um yeah I love that everything about that song is just so meaningful and the amount of thought and knowing the story behind it just makes it that much heavier knowing that like you do have this kind of um thought process behind like potentially losing a friend is what it can feel like and that potential I think is what makes it the scariest part because you don't know the outcome until it arrives kind of thing you know mm -hmm. yeah and I, I'm still you know I talk to this person daily mm -hmm. and um a review of the record that was absolutely lovely um talked <laughs> described it as a song about a failed friendship and I sent it to my friend and I was like I'm sorry like I expect your letter <laughs> of resignation <laughs> it's over <laughs> We failed. It's it doesn't work anymore. This person nope. said so. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, well, I'm glad you're still staying in touch with this person. And I hope you all get, are able to, because I know that this world has made it very difficult for a lot of people to stay in touch. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm just lucky that you know I have high speed internet. I'm able to do Zoom calls. Like, I'm able to message people. Um, mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that right now. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. So um, it's really important trying our best to stay connected right now. Mm -hmm. um, so the last song that I'm really digging into here is yeah. Guilt. Um, okay. That song is mind-blowingly incredible. I wow. feel like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's everything that you've put into this song. And frankly, the whole record is just really important. But mm -hmm. I feel like it's the most perhaps vulnerable song that you've got on the record here with you kind of unpacking the whole concept of the waiting room the feeling of like trying to grapple with information is really meaningful here um I I love everything that you do can you talk about this song and what it meant for you to kind of put this one together yeah um I tell this story at shows just because it's it's so silly and like I don't want to seem like a super serious like sad person at shows because you know like that's a part of me like there's mm -hmm. a part of me that feels those things that go into the songs but there's also you know a part of me that's just a person or mm -hmm. sorry I don't mean to say that someone who's sad isn't a person but just like <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad insinuation but you know what I mean like mm -hmm. you don't I don't feel those things all the time um and so the story is that I was having a really hard time this is years ago when I was in like eighth grade um and I, I was essentially beating myself up for all the like all of these opportunities that I have and all of these things that I have and these privileges that I have and and thinking like I don't deserve this like I feel guilty about it etc and my dad um just said like guilt is not the same thing as gratitude like you can be grateful for these things but that's not being guilty isn't actively being grateful and isn't actively trying to ensure that other people will have these things that you were so grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, and that just kind of stayed in the back of my mind for a really long time where whenever I started to center myself, I would think like, this is, you need to be grateful, but you shouldn't be feeling, there are things you should feel guilty for, but you should be centering gratitude instead of centering guilt. Um, and that's something that I try to remind myself. Um, and so I wrote the song or at least the first verse and I played it for my family <laughs> and my dad said wow that chorus is so good how did you come up with that <laughs> did like, he know immediately <laughs> he had no he had no idea like he was wow. totally earnest and he had no recollection of this like interaction that like changed the course of my perception of life you know no recollection of it whatsoever and it's so wow. funny to me how like something that could be so meaningful to you is just like another person's, you know, Wednesday or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was sort of the, the center of the song. I felt like I needed to have that phrase somewhere within the record um, because 
I think I felt a lot of guilt just about like the fact that I was able to get healthcare and I was able to get a diagnosis when a lot of people don't have access to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in centering myself, I was not actively saying, how can I, how can I take steps to try to make sure that another person might have this? And, um, so that was sort of the thinking behind the chorus of the song. Mm-hmm. And then the verses came really naturally. Like I'm usually a pretty obsessive writer. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, like I, I need everything to sound perfect. I need there to be consonants and assonance and all of these things. And um, with that song, I I think that there's a part where I sort of scream, like, it, you know, and um, I felt like that kind of was saying what I was feeling more than any of the words I was writing. Like, I feel like it was all kind of hung around that very primal sort of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the song, I kind of pull back and instead of screaming again, when like the the musical cues are suggesting that I'm going to do that, I go into like the, the guilt is gratitude kind of outro thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it's sort of about finding balance and and mitigating um, harm to yourself and to others within your emotional responses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I haven't really gotten to talk about this song. <laughs> no one's asked about it, so really, I'm rem- yeah, I'm trying to remember like right now what what I was thinking. It, I feel like it's a song where um, I know what it feels like, but I can't articulate fully. Like this is the thesis of the song. I mean, I guess guilt isn't gratitude is sort of the thesis because I say it like a million times. But Right. I mean, it's really incredible to me because it's like, I feel like at some points you're kind of battling like what you've described here, almost the survivor's guilt of like knowing that like you're able to get what you need to mm-hmm. be well, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing that maybe not everybody knows about the experiences that you've had with like POTS and stuff and like, mm-hmm. as well as, kind of just that thought of like, okay, how do I grapple with that? I think that's what makes it so interesting because whether it's literal, like we talked about earlier of having mm-hmm. the same diagnosis as you, mm-hmm. as well as like, you know, there could be people who've been through different experiences and mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out how to help or how to like, you know, move forward knowing that and knowing that other people have that same experience and such. To me, that's such a universal experience that a lot of people have lived through and continue to live through. And so I think it's so fascinating how you tackle that, especially with you being able to take, you know, this really meaningful phrase to you, guilt isn't isn't gratitude is really meaningful because it's like, you're kind of deciding in that moment, like, you know, okay, it's not, an emotion doesn't get me anywhere, but an expression like gratitude, that is something that will, right? Mm. So you're mm-hmm. kind of trying to figure out how to get to that step. It felt like at certain points where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. how do I become more active instead of um, stuck in this emotion, which I thought was really mm-hmm. interesting for you to kind of tackle within a song. Thank you. It's so wild and humbling to hear someone I respect so much talking about my music. It's, <laughs> it's just blowing my mind. Thank you. Hug. <laughs> uh, you know, um, that's just equally as humbling for me too. Not going to lie <laughs> to know that somebody feels that way and stuff. That means a lot to me as well. Um, yeah, it's your music is awesome. And I really love everything that you accomplish within waiting rooms. Um, you. you know, do you have any other songs on the record that just like mean a lot to you that you just love talking about or performing? Uh, I mean, I think my favorite on the record is Elsewhere, which is ironically the least popular on Spotify, which is making yeah. me feel very indie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I liked Mae Bacon before she was cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess I like it because I'm really proud of that guitar part. I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes, um, like, Temple was written with literally the first four chord shapes that I learned, like mm-hmm. a D shape, A minor shape, C shape, G shape, you know? Like, um, and with elsewhere, I feel like I was really like, how can I express these emotions and how can I express this specific moment in time along the fretboard? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that I wanna get a lot better at because I still see myself as like a very novice instrumentalist. Um, You know, I'm self-taught and I'm learning theory right now, which is great. 
because it's like, oh, that's why you can make this shape here and it's an E and it's an A here, you know, like I, I really appreciate getting that kind of insight. Um, but before I knew all that stuff, I was really just messing around. And I think with elsewhere, I was really like, how am I going to say this thing without words using just this, this fretboard? Um, and I don't know if I was totally successful, but I feel like it's the best attempt I've had um, at doing that. So that one means a lot to me. Um, yeah. That's awesome. And I love that you do have a song within the record where you can kind of feel your growth in that sense of like, mm-hmm. oh, I know what I actually want to do here. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's only going to continue to like happen for you as you keep writing new songs. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what is something you really want your listeners to get out of waiting rooms? What do you hope they walk away with maybe? Um, that's a great question that I need to think about because I, I guess it's, um, you know, seeing Julian Baker and like seeing someone sing about things that I felt like I could connect to and um, feeling that need to not create a facsimile, but that need to like express through a similar conduit, like that that's what I hope people get out of music. Like seeing, listening to the record, maybe seeing themselves a little bit and then thinking, oh, I feel like I could do this too. You know, I, I could pick up a piano or a guitar or a ukulele or whatever. And like, I could do this too. Um, that, that would be just so meaningful to me. Um, and especially I feel like as I was getting sick, I was having a lot of trouble finding songs about disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there are many out there, but it, it was just not like a topic that I was seeing a lot of music about. Like there were a lot of songs about like, my parents are sick and this sucks. And, and of course those are extremely important and mean, meaningful, but I was having trouble finding songs where like, it was directly about my body is like warring against me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I'm hopeful that maybe this will at least bridge that gap a little bit, um, and maybe inspire more people to write about, um, disability. Um, I think my biggest dream with music is just, this is probably like cliche, but like for someone for, to write something that is someone else's favorite song, I think that would be just mind blowing and humbling. Um, Yeah. I think you can do it. That's for sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I definitely respect everything that you're going for here because um, it's really important for people to have music that they connect to and that they feel represents them and their experience. So keep doing mm-hmm. what you're doing. It's really important. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. What's maybe something you want people to know about you as a musician that maybe they don't know yet? Uh, gosh, Um I guess, I don't know, like, I really love hardcore. And I feel like that's not something a lot of people would get from my music, because it's very like sad girl, you know, (laughs) thing. (laughs) Um, But like, Hesitation Wounds, you know, Touche, Um, the new Soul Glow EP Mm -hmm. is so good. Um, It's one of my favorite releases of the year. Yeah. Um, And I guess like, I guess I want people to know that because it would be a dream to like collaborate with a hardcore band on something. Oh, yeah. Um, That'd be so sick. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like with my music, I kind of lay it all out on the on the whatever, on the DAW or whatever. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's a very vulnerable record. And I feel like there's not a lot that I didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, if you're a hardcore band and you want, like, backing vocals or something hit me up. <laughs> That'd be so sick. Yeah. If anybody That'd listening so wants sick. to, if anybody listening wants to help Maeve out with that, make yeah. it happen. I'd love to hear yeah. it too, when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we started recording, you got me really kind of excited when you mentioned that you're writing more music right now and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so, uh, what are some things you want to accomplish maybe with like your next record or even in general as a musician going forward? Um, I want to create a much more cohesive piece, but uh, like thematically cohesive, but I'm hoping for it to be a lot more wide ranging in terms of the sound like that Barty's Strange record Mm -hmm. from this year is one of my favorites. Um, 
and what he's able to do, like where all the songs are connected, but like they're so, they can be so disparate in terms mm -hmm. of instrumentation and production. Um, I know the, the title, which is, is odd. Like that's not usually how I, I mean, I say usually as though I've done like a bunch of albums when, you know, one. <laughs> but um, that's not how I've worked in the past. Um, and I know like the general theme. Um, and so it's just sort of like a matter of observing. I think right now I'm just kind of trying to pay to be very aware of my surroundings and of other people and just trying to glean from that connections to this larger theme. Um, Cause I'm hoping it'll be a much more expansive record in terms of just not like, you know, this is what happened to Maeve today, you know, <laughs> which I feel like <laughs> is sort of waiting rooms. Um, like the new Taylor Swift album. I have no idea if you're a fan, um, but I, I really appreciated how like she was able to sort of take very stories that were not connected to her and kind of give voice to them mm -hmm. um, in a very empathetic way. Um, and that's something I hope to be able to do in the future where it's not just like all me all the mm -hmm. time because I get pretty exhausted with myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a gift to be able to kind of um, tell meaningful stories about things that maybe didn't happen to you directly mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Taylor Swift's new record is a good example. Um, I think, feel like early rap boys definitely did that yeah, very well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they still do that, but. Yeah. holy moly that is definitely a uh, a gift to be able to do that so mm -hmm. I hope you're able to succeed in that area for sure because yeah it's, it's so much fun to listen to as a listener of music for sure mm -hmm. <laughs> um well because I know that you mentioned that you listen to the podcast so you're probably prepped for this question yeah. but <laughs> if you could play a show with any three bands that, or artists and be currently active or you can bring them back from the dead mm -hmm. who do you who do you want to play with um, I was thinking about this this morning. <laughs> I think part of it is just people I want to see. Mm -hmm. Like, I think SZA was the first person I thought of. Yeah. Um, Control is like one of my all-time favorite albums. Um, and just what she's able to do, like with production and storytelling is so exciting. Um, and I would just love to be like in the audience and like, maybe, I don't know, play backing guitar for her or something just like be in her presence um and like Mitski was um kind of my first concert uh and so get it and it was it was on the puberty 2 tour which I feel like is so Ooh. different from what she's doing now right um, but still <laughs> yeah yeah um it was absolutely incredible and getting to see her again and I don't know just like shake a tambourine I don't know like, <laughs> I feel like there's not much I could add but, she's um, amazing like that <laughs> yeah like videos of the be the cowboy tour I didn't get to see any of the shows but where she's like on the chair and she's like doing all the like dancing and the interpretive stuff so sick um and then I've gotten really into um Sudan archives recently um I'm definitely late to the party but uh that record Athena is just absolutely wild and beautiful um and I would just love to to see her and also like she's a violinist and I feel like there's so few like artists who are able to like use this instrument that's you know thought of as like more classical and bring it into this really expansive sort of sonic world where like mm -hmm. there's pop and you know folk and like all of these different kind of musical ideas kind of intermingling um once again, I don't think I could add anything, but I could just be there with like a shaker. That's perfect. Well, I hope that whenever this horrible pandemic is over, you start to get on the radar of people like this because it would be so sick. And uh, you're definitely heading in a direction where I feel like your sound is going to really mean a lot to a lot of people. So keep Thank it you. up. You're doing amazing. Thank <laughs> you. I hope that's the case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like there's always, there's a part of me that's like, do we really need another like young white thin woman singing about mental health? like there's a part of me that sort of like is that really a, something that is needed right now and if it's not like that's okay but um you know I hope people connect with it oh definitely I think that's I hope that's gonna happen and I think it will happen honestly because what you're doing and what you're writing about are really important things never forget that <laughs> 
Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, Maeve, it's been so much fun talking to you and learning more about you and your music. Uh, where can everybody keep up with you on the internet and follow you? Uh, my Instagram and Twitter are at Maeve Aiken. It's a really creative, creative <laughs> username. Um, they'll, they'll see how my name is spelled, I'm guessing, because a lot of people have difficulty with my last name. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I don't know um those are kind of the only platforms I use but if you want to if you want to chat with me I I don't know tweet at me I guess (laughs) (laughs) perfect and yeah everybody please be sure to give Maeve a follow find their music on uh Spotify Bandcamp I'm sure uh I found it on Apple Music it's everywhere so be sure to everywhere but Amazon I believe is what we decided That's perfect. Great choice. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Maeve. Thank you.
You just heard Maeve Aiken. Thank you so much to Maeve for sharing what went into Waiting Rooms and to podcast alum Tombi for connecting us through her label, Corkscrew Records. Be sure to support Corkscrew Records and Maeve, of course, by streaming Waiting Rooms, pretty much available on all your favorite streaming apps. That's it for this week, but you can always keep up with Anger Girl music of the Indie Rock Persuasion online. Find episodes, links, articles, and more at angrygirlmusic.com. Get in touch with me through email at angrygirlmusic at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at, at angrygirlmusic. If you're interested in being a guest on the pod, reach out and let's chat about what you're working on. Just as a heads up, um, I am taking a break here for the remaining part of the year. I've got one more episode to go. So if I don't respond right away and you actually end up hearing from me in the new year, that's because I'll be back at it. So um, please keep sending your music to me anyway. I love having stuff to enjoy during downtime. And uh, I might end up becoming your super fan and we get back from hibernation sooner. <laughs> so uh, again, always reach out if you're interested in being on the pod. So thank you. Um Pledge your support for Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion on Patreon at patreon.com slash angrygirlmusic. Special thanks to our monthly patrons Molly O'Malley, Kendra Ramula, Carly Commando, John Kitsy Kitzmiller, Sam Zerwitz, Orla Tinsey, and Erica Fries. Thanks for listening. Till next time, stay angry and stay inspired. Bye for now. And the shit outside You tell me all about the songs you like Everyone's going to the water park Guess we will too I see you through the town Boy, your hair's on fire Sparks of somewhere Dressed up as a life You're the only